We want to study that this morning through the life of the Apostle Paul. We want to look at, you know, we're probably going to have to talk about Paul for the next two or three Sundays. Because unlike the other apostles, there is so much in the New Testament about Paul that we can't even begin to try to fit it into one sermon. The others, many of whom we're not given any extensive information on, we talked about three of whom who had very obscure lives as apostles. Nobody knew them. They were treated as if they were unimportant. Nobody understood them because they were behind the scenes. And we talked about how important it is for God to have somebody behind the scenes. Oh, somebody's got to be willing to work behind the scenes in the church. Everybody can't get the glory. We understand that the glory is not ours anyway. It's God's. But everybody is not going to be in the spotlight. Some people's talents give themselves to working behind the scenes. That's what they love doing. They don't need anybody patting them on the back. They know where their reward comes from. And Jesus said, be careful so that when you do your righteousness, you don't do it to be seen of men so that you can receive glory from men. And if that's what you want, you have already received your reward. So don't come up to the judgment looking for nothing. You have already been paid. If it's the pleasure and the, the praise of men that you need, you better get all of it before you leave. The Bible says that is your payment in full. Now, let's go on because we got a lot to cover in a short period of time. But we're going to do that. We're going to be able to do that. We're going to do some reading this morning. And I hope you don't get mad because I don't want to, you know, some folk don't like to be read to. They're the ones who say, I can read it for myself. But they don't say, I don't read it for myself. They say, I can read it. I understand that. And it's because you can, but often don't, that we need to read it together here. At least today. I think that many in the religious world are misguided today because they have this attitude that any religious group will do. And that kind of teaching you don't find in God's word. God's, God is not a any kind of way you want to do it, God. If you haven't learned anything about God, it ought to be this. God doesn't do things in a haphazard way. He doesn't do things that cause confusion. And he doesn't do things that are against his will for us. There are a lot of folk out here who are confused today. And it really comes down to they don't know this. That's as simple as it can get. There are a lot of folk who bang on the desk and demand, Who are you? To tell me that the way I'm worshiping is not the way the Lord would have me worship. Well, if I show it to you in the word of God, will you buy it? I'm not telling you what I think. Because some parts of me, if I had my way, 
would worship the way you worship. I ain't going to tell no lie. It sounds good to have that music up in the building. I like organ music. I like piano music. I like the bass guitar. If I could have played an instrument, I think it would have been in a band. It would have been the bass guitar. I just love that thong. That beat. I like that. And I'd love to be able to incorporate that into my worship of God. Love to be able to do that. Some of y'all looking at me like I'm an antichrist. You'll be strong. Listen to what I'm saying. Some of us, deep down in our bowels, love some of the stuff that denominational folk do. And that's, but number one, everything they do in wrong or misguided. But there are a lot of things they do that are not scriptural. That's how we're talking about. Can you find it in him? And when it comes to where you're going to be a member, you need to know this in order to realize what people are teaching you that is not here and what they're teaching you that is here. You are at the mercy of any religious teacher if you don't know this for yourself. Well, Brother Anthony, how can I know it for myself? I've never been to school and studied the scriptures. Yeah, get your head in the book. Get your head in the book. It's not so, it's not difficult. God hasn't made this so we can't understand it. If I can understand it, you can understand it. And I know some folk who, if they can understand it, I know you can understand it. The Bible says this is so simple that a fool ought not air therein. A straight out fool. So you know what the problem is. It's not that we can't understand it. It's just that we won't take the time to study it. But we'll reject and ebon in essence and all day long. But when it comes to this, I don't know that. Well, know this. If you don't know it, you're at the mercy of the devil to be just kicked back and forth like the wind blows paper. Because you will believe any little thing that comes along. Somebody says this today. Oh, that sounds good. Somebody says the opposite tomorrow. Oh, that sounds good. Because you know we all have a right to worship the way we want to worship. You sure do. But you don't have the right to worship God the way you want to worship. Depends on what you worship it. Because God tells us how he wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. I need to be worshipped based on truth, not your emotions, not your intuition, not your intellect, based on what this says. That's how I want to be worshipped. So just telling you what needs to be said. Now, Paul, let's talk about Saul, the apostle who was born out of due season. Have you ever given, have you, have you given anything up to follow Christ? I want you to just think about that a minute. When you decided to follow Christ, did you really give up anything? 
And if you did, what did you give up? What was it? And how do you feel about giving it up? These are the kind of questions that come to mind when we study Paul's life and God's dealings with him. Those of us who study the scriptures know that before Paul uh, met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he, he was called Saul. And the Bible has some things to tell us about the prior life of Saul. And the beautiful thing is that it comes from Paul. <laughs> you can talk about yourself when others can't talk about you. And that's what Paul did once he met the Lord. Of course, we know that Saul was from a place called Tarsus which was the capital city of a region called Cilicia. Today, that area is known as southern Turkey. That's where Paul was born and raised. And we know that Paul was accosted, as it were, by Jesus after the resurrection of Jesus. On the road to Damascus. We know that there are 27 books in the New Testament and that 13 of those books are credited to Paul as the author. That's why we have so much information to talk about regarding Paul. He wrote 13 of the books of the New Testament. Paul, history tells us, as well as the word of God, by inference, that Paul had a brilliant mind. He had a commanding knowledge of philosophy and religion, and he could debate with the most educated scholars of his day. We know that he was from the tribe of Benjamin, that he was a member of the strictest sect, of the Jews, that being the Pharisees, and that his mentor was Gamaliel, who was a famous rabbi at the time that Paul lived. Now, we all know, based on our study of the 12 up to this point, that Jesus handpicked 12 apostles before his death and resurrection. Here comes Saul later on after Jesus has died, been buried, resurrected, gone back to glory. And then he calls Saul. So to say that Saul's calling was different than the other 12 is an understatement. And Saul doesn't try to hide that. He says in our scriptural text this morning that Jesus appeared after his resurrection to various men. Members of the uh, apostolic band. And then he appeared to uh, Cephas. He appeared 
to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 at one time so that they could see him and verify that he had been raised from the dead. Then the Bible says he was seen of James. Many believe to be the brother of Jesus. I think it says that in many of the translations. He was seen by his brother James. And then Paul says, and last, he was seen by me. So Paul saw Jesus after his resurrection. On the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9, as well as when he was caught up to the third heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Or is it 11? I have to look at that again. We're going to get there. 2 Corinthians, I believe it is chapter 11, verse number 5. But we're, we're going to talk about that. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, I think it is. Right along in there, okay? Here's what, what I want you to understand about the calling of Saul. The record of Paul's conversion represents the most dramatic and drastic conversion in the scriptures. I say this because scripture indicates that Paul was intent on destroying the Lord's church, which prompted Jesus to appear to him on the Damascus road after his resurrection. The Jews and the Pharisees in particular couldn't understand or accept that God would visit mankind in human flesh, that secondly, he would submit to death at the hands of sinful men, and thirdly, they had a problem with God being buried in a borrowed tomb and resurrected the third day. They had a problem with that. That teaching, the Bible says, was foolish to Gentiles and it was a stumbling block to Jews. When Jews heard that the God whom they served and that their forefathers had served, the God that they referred to as Yahweh, Jehovah, was going to visit earth in the form of a man and here die. The Jews said, oh, no, 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 no. Who has, who has easy time accepting that about the God they serve? Who doesn't have a problem with that? To say God, the God of the universe who made earth and heaven and hell, who is in all and through us all and rules over all, but he's going to come to earth and die at the hands of sinful men. The Jews will say, oh, no, 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 no. Can't wrap my head around that. If he's God, he ought to stay where God stays, separate and apart from us. He ought not be down here mingling with us. And how? He gonna die at the hands of people he created? No, no, I can't see that. The Pharisees were among the most, the strictest teachers of denying that kind of teaching because they just couldn't wrap their heads around. 
And Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. To the Greeks, it was foolishness. To the Gentiles, it was foolishness. And to the Jews, God's chosen people, it was a stumbling block. That's like your dad getting beat up when he comes to challenge somebody else's dad. It's in that kind of genre. And how you would feel. You understand what I'm saying? How do you feel about your God allowing himself in the form of Jesus to come to this world and die even though it was for us? Can you wrap your head around that? Oh, I guess not. You see, did you see how quiet it got in here? See, sometimes we don't consider stuff like that. We just go all over that and we get to singing and praying and giving because that's the easier part. But let me tell you what the hard part is. Believing in your heart that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth, died and was buried and resurrected for the sins of the world and then went on back to glory. That's still too much for a lot of folks to wrap around. So what do we do? We just don't deal with it. We don't ask ourselves that question. We don't sit out at home and say, do I really believe that Jesus came here and died? Mm. And then we say, well, I'll deal with that another time. Oh no, you need to deal with that right now. Because that forms the basis of the gospel. The first three verses of 1 Corinthians 15. How that Christ died and was buried and resurrected the third day. No one, no one in Paul's or Saul's class with Gamaliel would have voted Saul a future champion of Christianity. No one would have voted him most likely to become a gospel preacher. Because Saul wasn't made of that kind of stuff. Saul was true to the Mosaic law. Let's read together what Paul felt about and what he says about himself. Let's turn over to where he characterizes his life in Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, or his life before he met the Lord. Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. Now, if you really came to study today, you got your Bible with you. Flip on over there with us. If you don't have it, then are we going to be able to put that up today? No screen today. So see, today is the day you really need it. That's why even though I have this little tablet up here, these things give out. I got to go with the real deal. So I don't go nowhere where I take this that I don't have this. See, the batteries go out in this and that kind of stuff. This? <laughs> has an everlasting battery. Every time you open it, it's just the way you left it. Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. There, Paul says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Paul goes on to say, circumcised the eighth day 
of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, he says, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He uses that as zeal. That's zeal. What he's saying, when you can persecute the wrong thing and do it the way he did it, that's zeal. It's just zeal to do the wrong thing. Paul said, as it concerns my zeal, I persecuted the church concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So Paul says, when it came to keeping the Mosaic law, when it came to keeping the Ten Commandments and all of those things in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus that talk about the, the, the services that had to be rendered and how they had to be done, Paul says, I'm blameless. I lived a spotless life when it came to the legalism associated with keeping the law. If the law said don't work on the Sabbath day, I didn't work on the Sabbath day. I, I, my forefathers didn't work on the Sabbath day. We kept the law. If we had to wash our hands three times before we partook of a meal, my family and I always washed our hands three times, just like the law said. Paul said, I kept the law flawlessly. No man could point a finger at me and say I didn't. But see, Paul is talking about the legalistic side of the law. In the New Testament, we get to the non-legalistic side. That's where Jesus says, you heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye, two for a two. But I say unto you, if a man slaps you on one cheek, turn to him the other cheek. See, now that's a bit harder to do. Okay, And when you come to the New Testament, it's taken from, from actual events to thoughts. You've heard that it has been said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, any man who looks on a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Paul may not have gone out and committed adultery, but then we have to ask the question, Paul, did you do it in your heart? Mm -hmm. see this is the problem under the new law this is the problem it's not the actual act because every sin begins where as a thought right here and James says that thought matures into sin and then that sin gives way to death but let's look here what Paul Saul says I was a I was a Hebrew of, <coughs> Hebrew of Hebrews. When it came to keeping the law, I was blameless. What things were gained to me, these I counted lost for Christ. Remember I asked you, what did you give up? Paul said, all that I was, I gave up and counted it as nothing. Because I found that the true measure of a man is in his ability to accept Christ as Lord. Doesn't consist in how smart he is and how much people respect him. It consists in whether or not he obeys God. Folks, you better learn how to obey God. Parents, while you're teaching your children how to get a good job, you need to teach them how to get a good God too. 
that needs to come first because it's God that has all the good jobs. All the good jobs. God got them. So if you want to make some contacts, you know how we are. We got LinkedIn and we got all the Facebook stuff trying to hook people up with good jobs. I tell you what you do. Use LinkedIn to hook them up with a good God who owns all the jobs. We talking about these folk here who work at the factory sitting on the other side of the desk. You need to do Don't get it twisted. They work in there and they may think they give out the jobs, but God gives jobs. The Bible says all that is in the world belongs to him. Even the cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. Somebody said all the potatoes under the hill belong to him. All the jobs are his to give. If you've been waiting on the personnel board, no wonder you ain't got nothing. Because the personnel board doesn't have any jobs to give. You need to talk to the man who's on the personnel board and tell him to go in and work with their hearts. God will make, God will make somebody who don't even like you give you a job. When you're walking out there, he's saying, what in the world did I just do? That's the kind of thing God can do. But if you go out there looking for it on your own, God bless you. You're going to get what you get looking for it on your own. Mm -hmm. Woo. I'm getting there. Lord have mercy. Here's the point. Paul says, because of what I've done to the church, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says, I am the chief of sinners. I consider myself to be the least of the apostles. In 1 Corinthians 15, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. I am what I am. <laughs> By the grace of God. And Paul says, I'm not confused about this. And folks, we need to use that. We need to stop trying to be good enough to be saved. And that's what we involved in. All this stuff that we do is so many of us think that way. You know, I got to go to church because I'm trying to get good enough. I want to give and commune and pray because I'm trying to get good enough. To be saved. That's in direct opposition to the teaching of the scriptures. The, 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 the scriptures teach that we can't do anything good enough to be saved. We can never be good. That's why God said, I'm going to give it to you. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to get this salvation I got for you. So I'm going to give it to you by my grace. And I'm going to couple it with your faith. That faith is the faith that I have that God will save me just as I am. Now, a lot of us got to deal with that because we don't believe that. You know why that is? Because we harder on ourselves than God is. Mm hmm. If we had to please each other, Lord have mercy, Jesus. 
I'd rather please the Lord than please you. Believe me, because the scale for pleasing the Lord ain't as hard as it is for you. I take the Lord any day because he's forgiving when I fall down. He's not there to point the finger and say, I knew you were nothing. That's not the God I serve. The God I serve said, come in, let me help you. Bless your heart. I knew that you were going to do what you did. I saw it before you did it. But if you're willing to ask me to forgive you, I'll forgive you. And I'll never bring it up against you again. Oh, I love that kind of God. Forget you. I ain't serving y'all. Because see, with men, you can't, you can't do enough. They ain't doing that. Every time you got them, every time you think you got them figured out, they change up on you. That's why somebody said you can't please all the people all the time. You can't please most of the people all the time. You may be able to fool some of the people all the time. But somebody going to peep your hand. And they're going to let you know what time it is. But I'm so glad I serve a God. Who loves me more than I love myself. Looks out for me when I won't look out for myself. And even when I get disobedient. When I get home, I find things just the way I left. He ain't took nothing from the house. He ain't put no foreclosure uh, sign on the door. He ain't had nobody knocking on my door trying to figure out when I'm going to pay my bills. And see, that's what we do. When somebody doesn't do what you want them to do. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I know you're getting that little money from Social Security. You don't lie. I'm going to call over there and tell them too. Those are the kind of things we do to each other. I know you're lying on your income tax. Since you did that to me, I'm going to call and tell on you. But you know what? God doesn't tell you any of my business. <laughs> and he doesn't tell me any of yours. When Peter asked about John, Jesus said, what is that to you? So when you go to God about me, God said, what, what business is that of yours? See, I like that kind of God there. Give me God any day over a man. Even over a wife. Because Job shows us that sometimes wives will cut you short. Job cussed God and died. I could have respected her more if she said cuss God and let's die. Let us die. She said, no, Job, you cuss God and die. I'll stay here. That don't sound like a wife that's in your corner, does it? Through thick and thin. Okay. So, so what is the lesson? I, I, I've got to end and we'll just revisit this again. We'll revisit this again. What a change is in store 
for Paul. I wonder what his friends said about it. Paul probably could have coined the question, how you like me now? When he went back to see his pharisaical brethren, how you like me now? The very Jesus I was trying to destroy. God has fixed it so I'm preaching the gospel in his name. Oh, doesn't God have a, God has a, has a sense of humor. What embarrassment waited for Paul from those who knew him from the old days. And yet skepticism from those in the church who knew of him. Hmm. Paul's conversion highlights for us one of the fundamental beliefs that we must accept as Christians. If you choose to fight with God, you cannot win. Let me say that again. If you choose to fight with God, if you want to battle with God, know that you have no win. It was God's desire that Paul should develop just the way he did to get him ready for the task God had for him. So what is the message, Brother Anthony? Well, one of the many messages is don't give up on people after the first attempt at trying to convert them. Don't give up on people based on how you think or who you think should be saved. Don't write people off before you attempt to teach them. Too often we prejudge who we're going to teach based on whether we think they will respond. Have you ever looked at somebody that you wanted to teach and said, oh, they, they, they wouldn't, they don't want to hear this. Based on how they're dressed or how they look. Have you ever said that to yourself? I really would like to teach them, but they, they just don't look like they'd want to hear what I have to say. So who are we to write people off based on how they will respond? Who are we to decide who we think is worthy to be saved? Oh, we can't decide that. That's God's decision. Our decision is to simply plant and water, and the Bible says God will give the increase. I want you to, I want you to think about that. We'll, we'll come back and visit this some more tonight and see the sad thing about this is that I have to abbreviate the evening lesson to give those who didn't attend this morning a, a summary of what we said I can't go into a full-blown lesson because I need to do it with those of you who've heard the first part of this. And I know that I'm not going to see the majority of you until next Sunday. And I don't understand why that is. I can't even preach the way I want to. Because folk won't come when they need to. Oh, Lord. They don't got quiet. Help me, Jesus. They don't got quiet on me. But y'all ain't my God, see. I don't believe heaven is quiet. I believe heaven is rejoicing. Whenever the truth is preached, heaven rejoices. 
whenever one sinner comes back to the fold, heaven rejoices. Whenever one is baptized and added to the body of Christ, heaven rejoices. Why don't you make heaven rejoice today? By giving the Lord your, your heart and giving me your hand and confessing Christ as the Son of God. Obeying the gospel. Paul said in Romans 1.16 that it is the gospel who has the power, which has the power of salvation. Your preacher doesn't have the power of salvation. And I don't mind you asking them some of the things that I ask you. Go back and ask them. Now, you may have to get ready for an ugly kind of response because there are certain kind of things that you can ask them that they're going to say to you, oh, Lord, you've been talking to them Church of Christ folks. They know because there are certain kinds of questions only we ask. Like, can you show me your church in the Bible? Oh, oh, everybody's not asking that question. Denominational churches out there, when you walk up in there, they say, hey, we're glad to have you. What's up? Well, I go to church over here. That's, that's, that's fine. That's fine. What's up? Only we ask people, can you find the church that you belong to in this book? Because that's the same question the Lord is going to ask you in the judgment. According to Matthew 25, the Bible says we'll be in line for the judgment. And as we go up to the judgment bar, the Lord is going to say to some, depart from me. And he's going to say to others, enter ye into the joys of thy Lord. Well done, your good and faithful servant. Now the ones that are on the left will say to him, the scripture says, Lord, you must be mistaken. Depart from me. Don't you remember me? I did wonderful works in your name. I cast out demons in your name. And the Lord will say to them, depart from me. Who is he talking to there? Those are not the atheists of the world and the agnostics of the world. Those are people who were religious, who thought they were doing things the right way. Only to find out when they get to the judgment that Jesus says, I never knew you. I never knew you. In other words, your name isn't in the book. You know how they treat you when you show up to a restaurant saying you got a, a reservation. And they look through that book. They said, we, what's your name again? You using the aliases? We don't have you in the book. When I called, hey, we don't have you in the book. Well, I called yesterday and made this appointment. Sir, we don't have you in the book. We are booked. All reservations are complete. And they don't care how much you jump up and down and talk about calling the Better Business Bureau in Austin. They say we booked. Well, man, I told my child to call and to get that done. And then you find out that the child didn't call. Well, let me tell you something. You may be knocking on the door, but you may be knocking on the wrong door. The wrong door. 
And that's what this thing is all about. That's where the sadness of this thing comes in. When you see people who are sincere and honest and who are doing the best they can to live a good Christian life, but they're being led astray by false teachers and they don't know the word so they can't say, no, that's not in the Bible. All they can say is, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. If that's what you say, sir. But you see what? You need to have that Bible in your hand. And every time they tell you something, show me that. Let, let me see that. Let me see that right there. Now, I'm going to take two more minutes. I got to. In Acts chapter 1, the Bible talks about the replacing of Judas, the apostle. You remember that after Judas betrayed Jesus, the Bible says he took that 30 pieces of silver and threw it back to the chief priest. They told him, we don't want it. <laughs> we paid you to do a job. You did your job, so the money is yours. He threw it back to him because of his guilt. And then the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, before the church had its start, that there were 120 members of the body who had already been set in the church, Brother Jerry. 120, and they were there with the apostles, the 11. Judas is missing. Peter stands up and says, now, we've got to find somebody to replace Judas. See, because the Lord chose 12, and we are now standing at 11. And then they, they say, well, how are we going to do this? I'm so glad the record is clear. They didn't say, uh, uh, Andrew, who you recommend? They didn't say, uh, Thaddeus, who you like? They didn't even let Peter put in anybody that he liked. They didn't go through the 11 and say, well, who y'all think it ought to be? They let the qualifications for an apostle decide whose name was going in the hat. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. I got to say this because we got too many supposed apostles running around here today. Have you seen anybody with that in front of their name? Apostle? Oh, they're all over Birmingham. Next time you see one, ask how old he is. Okay. Okay. All right. We're looking at 21. Let's start with 21. We got to read this. Put this down in your notes too. So next time you talk with somebody who declares they are an apostle, you can ask them to explain this to you. In verse 21, Peter says, Wherefore, of these men which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Those are the qualifications. It can't be somebody just jumped up yesterday. It's got somebody who's been with us and following Jesus from the baptism of John right up to the day that Jesus ascended up in heaven. 
Somebody who's been with us all along. And only two men fit the bill. The Bible says they appointed two. Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And then they prayed. That's the first thing they did. The Bible says, he said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. Oh, we need to get more in the habit of that. Rather than us picking folk ourselves, we need to put the people who meet the qualifications and then pray. And say, Lord, you show us. The Lord is still in the showing business. That's not miraculous. That's, that's done through prayer. And that's what Paul did. The Bible says they prayed and said, Lord, show us which one of these men. Because, see, we get subjected. We'll look at one and say, I like the way he dresses, do you? Or you know what? He carries himself more professional than the other one. Let's choose him. He's going to be the less likely one to embarrass us in a crowd, Brother Jerry. Let's choose him. But I'm so glad they didn't choose him that way. The Bible says they prayed and asked God, show us the one you choose. And then they gave forth uh, straws to be pulled. And the Lord led them to the man who would be there. And they were forth, they, they gave forth their lots. And the lot fell upon Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So the people who are running around today saying they are apostles must mean that they were with Jesus in his earthly ministry from the baptism of John up through his ascension into heaven. That'd make them about 2,100 years old, wouldn't it? I want to see a 2,000-year-old man. If these, are the, if these are the criteria, who are we to change them? What do, what do we do? Just come along and say, well, the man with the biggest cross on his chest ought to be an apostle. Come on, folk. Think for yourself and read this for yourself. How many of you knew that was there? Raise your hand. How many of you knew Acts 21 was there and what it meant? And that it was the, it's the passage that gives the qualifications for an apostle. And that's why we have no apostles today. After the last apostle died, that was it. Except God choosing to call Saul. Because see, God can do what he wants to do. And he keeps letting us know that this is my world. And I'll do exactly what I want to do. I'll show favor to whom I want to show favor. Because he's my servant, not yours. And at the end of the day, you know that sentence that they have at the end of your job description and anything else that you ask to do, you will do. That's the way this ends. God is in charge and he will do whatever he wants to do. Now you just got to get with that and be strong. Let's stand right now and sing.